Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. So today we are really excited to have Sarah Zimmerman with us. Sarah is an author that we connected with over Instagram. If you haven't noticed the theme, we do tend to have a lot of people that we meet on Instagram on the podcast, mainly because it's just a great community and we enjoy finding people there and connecting with people there. Um, but Sarah is a upper YA fantasy writer or speculative fiction writer. And I had the great pleasure of getting to work with her and read her the book she's working on right now, or that she just finished, I guess, it's with Beta Readers, if I remember right, <laughs> or, um, yeah. or maybe done with Beta Readers by now. And it was just a delight to read. Like, I tore through it in like a day or two. It was so much fun. And and we just, I just wanted to have her on to kind of talk about um, her book and her work and writing and so much of that, because I just enjoy talking with you, Sarah. We had a lot of fun talking oh about gosh. books and writing. <laughs> I had no idea that I was going to meet somebody who is so like-minded and is in my brain. And I'm like, are you me? Thank you, Instagram. <laughs> that is the greatest. <laughs> well, we always start out our interviews by asking kind of, what is your story with story? Um, connection with story, when, when did you first kind of fall in love with it? Any favorite books, anything like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was an only child until I was almost four. And I vividly remember having like these mountains of books that I would bring into my parents' bedroom at night and be like, can you read faster? Can you read faster? <laughs> um, like I'm talking back in like the days of Care Bears and Rainbow Bright yeah. here yep. um, for anyone who is like millennial, um, <laughs> millennials. But yeah, I couldn't devour books fast enough. And I mean, it's just, it's been a love forever. And then I, re I think I remember when I was maybe seven watching a, a movie where I think it might, it might have even been Funny Farm with Chevy Chase, where he's like this total zany, like obsessive author who's trying to write a book and <laughs> his wife bests him and writes this amazing children's book. And I was like, whoa, whoa, back up. You can be a writer. Like you, that's like a job. Um, yeah. Sign me up. That's what I want to do like forever. And um, of course, you know, I, I like everybody, you think you're going to be what you're going to be when you're seven and life happens. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think I wrote all through school, all through college, I went to journalism school. And that's what I did coming out of college. Um, you, you work on building your family. And then I think just over the past five or so years came back to writing like with a vengeance and fell in love with it for so many different reasons. I think the same reason you fall in love with reading the words and being part of just thousands of different lives and stories and sharing that experience with people but being on the other side of it and going I can do this like I there's just something in me that needs to do this and yeah so listening to that voice and I'm I'm just I'm so all in I'm so excited at this stage to see what happens well I'm excited to see what happens for you too would you give us a little summary of your debut book that you've been working on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Wicked Glimpses is um, a little bit of blending genres, but like kind of it has a foot in urban fantasy romance with sci-fi elements, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's told from uh, two different perspectives. It follows an ordinary 17-year-old girl, Cass, who is just being ravaged by these nightmares and hallucinations after her grandmother dies. And then there's Hawk and Revere, 
who is leading this double life as an actor and a time traveler who is born into the supernatural order that uses magic and science to hunt criminals. Um, so of course, you know, boy meets girl and sparks fly and yeah. <laughs> there's magic involved. Um, and she's basically just diving headfirst, you know, towards answers at this point into, into Hawkins' world, which she basically thinks is straight out of the books like Divergent and Mortal Instruments and this hidden fortress that's sort of this half academy, half military unit that's hidden in this remote mountain inlet, if you will. So um, suddenly she's like this newcomer among all these crime fighting superhumans who are organized into these four different divisions. And she just, she has no idea where she fits, what her magic is, you know, if they're going to let her stay or leave. And she just has no idea what to do about Hawken, who clearly <laughs> has secrets of his own and has been warning her out of his world since he first met her. So I think what I love about this story is that it is fast paced and it's a lot of action and um, nightmares chasing them and death kind of stuff. But at the heart of it, it's like these two people who have these deep seated, really long rooted fears and tragedies and that has really shaped their worldviews. And it's something, you know, something that's hurting and broken in both of them. That's really the same. And they're going to have to figure out like, what is real? What's fate? You know, how can I forgive myself and accept who I am and believe in myself? And what does our connection mean? And they're going to have to do all that really pretty quickly, um, make some progress in book one, um, because there's all these crimes piling up and there's something chasing her and it's bringing death to their door. So yeah. yeah, it's it's got some uh, elements of time travel, of course, and some some advanced magic. But it also is reminiscent, I think, of a lot of the paranormal romance books that I really have fallen in love with in terms of the mood and the romance yes. and yeah. um, <laughs> the faded love tropes and things like that. So yeah. I think that's a great description. I think that really hits on one of the things I really loved reading your book was that how you paid attention to both that external plot and that internal plot. And we had such fun, fast paced, like things happening and danger and all of that and the high stakes. But you also had these like undercurrents of what the characters were dealing with internally. And I think you just balanced that really, really well. Um, I really enjoyed Thank that. You. Yeah. I'm one of those people who is like, um, Beth and I have talked about this, but I need, I need fast pace and I, I need a reason to turn the page, you know, like I need, yes urgency and um, something for them to work toward. But I think what keeps me reading and what keeps the characters in our minds long after you're done reading is that emotion and the internal conflict that they're going through. That's why I think, I don't know how you ladies are, but I, I mean, for me, like it's like love is always the subplot that hooks me. <laughs> yes. And yeah. I, it doesn't have to necessarily be romantic love. I prefer it. Um, yes. That's just my, my preference. But I think it can be an expression of um, loving yourself and accepting who you are. And those are those are the undercurrents that are so relatable and that, that yes. really make you keep reading, I think, and care. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so one of the things we wanted to talk about is this month on the podcast, we're talking a lot about editing and revising. And so when we we're working together, you cut almost 30,000 words. <laughs> and I just, I would love to know a little bit of what, I would love for you to share a little bit with our listeners of what that was like, how that felt as a writer, um, what was hard about it, what worked about mm -hmm. it, what, yeah, like just what that experience was like, because that's a lot of words to cut. And I have written a book that was 145,000 words at once and had to cut 
yeah, about 40,000. So I know a little bit of what that's like, but it's always, I think, different for each person and, and such a challenging thing for authors to recognize. It is. And I think it really helps to set your expectations going in. Like if you have a word count in mind saying like, I understand that usually books in my genre publish around 100,000K and I'm coming in at 134K, something has to go. But I also knew coming into the experience that there were these instincts I had about places where the story was dragging a little bit or places where I needed to get them from A to B faster. And that meant a lot of the words were going to go. I just couldn't see like... I was so in the trees, I couldn't see the forest anymore. And so I think having somebody who can come in and help recognize those places where scenes aren't working quite as hard for you as they can, um, you know, there's a little bit of redundancy here. Um, you don't have to lose like this great dialogue. It can actually go here. Like, mm -hmm. so just helping to reframe it in my mind. Like I'm not, I'm not necessarily losing the essence of the story. I'm just reformatting and I'm moving some things and telling it in a better way. So much of that devastation over losing some words can be just your expectations and reframing things in your mind. It's like you're not losing it. You're just reforming it, I think. Yeah. And what I love about maybe overwriting sometimes is that you do have stuff to cut. I don't look at it, it like it was a waste of my time because that was time I was spending with my characters getting to know them. Yes. And I think that's so important, like whether you're doing flash fiction as an exercise to get to know characters in your main story, or you're interviewing them, or you're like me, like having conversations in the shower every night. <laughs> I think it's never a waste. It's just not always in the book. You know, it's sometimes it's backstory or it's extra content that you can use later. So absolutely. I think that's such a good point. Like that none of that's wasted and you do, it shows up. I could see that in your work that you knew these characters really well. And I think that's one of the benefits of just letting yourself write and write as much as you need and then coming back to it with new eyes. I think the other thing you, you touched on that I really love is that kind of inkling of something not being quite right, that instinct. And I think that so often as writers, we can doubt our instinct or we can be like, kind of think something's not working here, but since I don't know what it is, I'm just going to leave it. Or since I can't figure out what it is, I'm just going to leave it. Or, um, but I really like these lines. So I guess I'm going to leave it. And it's so easy to just kind of brush off that instinct. And I think it's so important as writers to start developing our instinct and to start listening to our instinct, even when it hurts and even when it's like not quite what we want or what we thought we wanted, or um, it goes against maybe some of what we have in our head the story should be or have in our head that the story should have this thing in it because I, I'm finding more and more for myself like my instinct is right more than my brain sometimes <laughs> or like more than my will maybe is the word yeah I think instinct is such an incredible tool and you live and learn I had instincts a year ago that I needed to get my characters to their new world faster and I didn't listen. Um, it was uh, it was a very powerful lesson, though, and that way I wasn't so devastated. You know, when Beth and I were, began working together, I knew that that needed to happen. Especially when somebody else told me that it was validation that my gut was right, and you should listen and listen as soon as you can. Yes, I think there's a couple different reasons maybe we don't. One might be confidence, like we haven't had that validation before, and the other yes. one might be it really. <laughs> hard work yeah. to say, I'm going to throw away 30,000 words. 
and do it because I know it's going to make the story better. So if you're not quite ready to do that, maybe that's okay, but maybe it helps you will be shocked later. <laughs> yeah. if you have to. And what I love about what you do on Instagram with your posts about the developmental edit you went through and about the line edits that you're currently going through and the working with beta readers is you've been so transparent about what you've been learning throughout the process. And I think showing other writers, no, this is, you know, this is part of the process and this is what I've learned personally through it. You can kind of pass those lessons on so that Mm -hmm. other people can learn from what it is you've gone through. I think there's this perception about writers that we are like holed up in like (laughs) hold up in our office or like hotels for weekends where we don't see anybody. And there's certainly times when you are, when you really need to focus, but there are so many opportunities to collaborate and help each other learn. Because I think at the end of the day, we all want the same things. Like we we're all selfishly wanting amazing books to read. Like we want good stuff out there. And like, for me, that means encouraging other writers to keep going. Like, I don't want you to stop because you think a book you just read is so much better and you could never possibly write a book like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have those sorts of thoughts, but I think there's just an appetite out there for so many different kinds of books. There's so many ideal readers looking for exactly what you're doing. I just want people to keep going. And I want to be able to get like really nerdy and talk about writing together because (laughs) it makes us all better. And it, it's just fun. Like this is sort of what, I don't know, it's what I live for is the sharing um, once the work is is on the page. So. I love that. There's actually one reel that you had about um, overused words, um, (laughs) about using the words (laughs) like eyes. And I, I love that because it normalized one, we all have words that we overuse but it made it really fun and I laughed when I saw that because I connected with me I was wondering like with overused words one how did that example come to your attention did you read Mm -hmm. through it and did you recognize it or did a beta reader oh Um, my gosh yeah well both both actually um this was pre-beta readers when I did that reel I think I think as writers one of your greatest assets is self-awareness and knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, knowing your writing style, knowing areas where you want to grow. And I know personally, I fall into these times where I'm just not particularly energetic and I am feeling like, um, you know, coming up with lyrical sort of prosy writing. Uh, it's not my strong suit all the time. So sometimes you just recognize I have, I say heart a lot. I say eyes a lot. I think that's probably a symptom of maybe I need to think about different ways to show, you know, not just the same sorts of physical reactions. Like maybe I need to give my character some props to interact with. Maybe they need to move around (laughs) a little bit more. So it's just taking, I think, every chance you can to be self-reflective and to know, know areas of opportunity. And that's right down to like your word choice and what you tend to lean in towards. So yeah, I think that was kind of my intention with that post was like, I know you all use this word a lot too. We really like eyes, they're the windows to the soul. But I think it's just good to push yourself. Um, if you're someone who likes to grow, and I personally do, I think the, the most fun for me is the playing with the words. And when you are able to take a look at what you want to do a little bit differently or better, then I think that pushes you to, to focus on those areas. So 
Is there anything that you've learned through this editing and revision process that you didn't know before that you wish you had known or would like to share? Oh my gosh, I've learned so, so much. I think with developmental edits, well, I didn't go into them knowing they were going to be developmental edits. I think I went into my two-week review with you, Beth, just hoping for someone to give me perspective on what was working and wasn't what wasn't working. And then I realized, hey, I have this partner right now. I need to take advantage of her expertise and her perspective and her experience that I don't have because we're all just so different. And mm-hmm. I'm going to work my butt off the next two weeks and I am going to <laughs> make this a developmental edit. And so that's what I decided was, I think you just have to take advantage of the opportunities that you have and people who are willing, I should should say, don't take advantage of people, take advantage (laughs) of opportunities you have, you know, in working and sharing with people because you don't have to do it on your own. And people say it all the time. Like when you look at it in the acknowledgements and books, it's like a whole village of people that help build a book. And I just think that when you're going into the editing process, that's the, the hugest part of it is getting perspective in different lenses. So not just thinking that you have to go and be alone in these, like, I need to go through alone and do lineas. I need to go through and figure out what's working and what's not, because it's really hard to do that by yourself. So I would just say when you're at that point, you have draft one. And if you haven't gotten feedback along the way to be vulnerable, be open and find some, some people that you trust people who will, will be able to shine some light on what you can do to make your book really thing. Yeah. Do you mind talking about the, cause you're in the middle of the line edit and beta reading process, right? At, mm-hmm. at the moment of the revised version, do you want to talk about how kind of then that next level of um, review or edit yeah. is going? Yeah. So once I went through and kind of made sure after developmental edits, like you move things around a lot, you take things out. It's, it's like a big pass through to make sure things are consistent that you caught any inconsistencies and the story is flowing. So then I moved from developmental edits to um, beta readers. And I did use Instagram primarily to find my beta readers. I have a couple of um, people that I trust that are closer that I know from like the marketing world that I work in who are reading as well. But a lot of it was just asking people on Instagram and figuring out who's going to be the best fit for your book. I wanted to make sure I was going to be really intentional about the feedback I was asking. So I had a Google form made up um, with a lot of different questions to help me answer things that I needed to gut check about character development, the magic system in the book, plot, arcs, all of that sort of thing. So I sent the book out to, and this number may seem like scary high to some people, but I have it with 20 people. Because at this stage for me, it's really like, I want that quantity. You know, I think it's easy if you only send it to a few people to think that, oh, I have to change it based on what they're telling me, but you need to be able to look for patterns and get the context of like, what are these people reading while they're reading my book? Is this their main genre? Like, have they ever done a beta read before? Um, And just kind of look for what those patterns are to try to figure out at this stage Uh, what's going to be reflective of your ideal reader. Mm. So my beta readers have until uh, like in a few days from now. So when this airs, it'll, should be all done. (laughs) Um, But at this point I'm waiting on pins and needles to get more feedback and I'm really excited to do that. And then I think I'm planning to sit with it for like 
you know, absorb that feedback for a week or two and have this master list of the things I want to tackle and spend some time, you know, like a few weeks, a month going through making it what I want it to be as close as it can get to ready to publish. And then comes proofreading. Yeah. Don't proofread before beta readers. <laughs> yes. yes. I feel like with every revision, you introduce all these more typos. And that would be one of my kind of tips for people is like not to worry about that because you can spend so much time trying to make it yeah. perfect. And then you're like, Absolutely. you're going to always have typos. So. That is that, great advice. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's such a great um, point about patterns too. Like I, I think everyone is different. How much feedback they can tolerate is going to be different. Um, but even if you have a small group of beta readers, you can still look for like, if all of them are still agreeing on something, that, that mm-hmm. should have a little more weight than if only one of them was saying something. And, and you're right that the more beta readers you have, the easier it is to find those patterns and the easier it is to, to notice the things that are recurring or, or coming up over and over again. Um, I'm curious, have you had some of that feedback come in already and mm-hmm. how has that been as you started to actually get the feedback? Yeah, I have definitely had that come in and I like what you said about how everyone has like varying degrees of how comfortable they are with receiving feedback. You know, I'm not in my twenties anymore and I might've been a little bit more, um, protective about my words when I was younger, but I think as you navigate things a little longer, you become a little bit um, like precious about your work and you just really want to make it better. So that's kind of my mindset coming into beta readers, working with Beth, you know, I'm I'm trying to not take things personally, you know, just because someone tells you something's not working or, you know, gives you feedback that's not quite what you wanted to hear. doesn't mean you're a bad writer. And I hope no one ever thinks that. And um, so I have maybe a higher tolerance than some some writers do for feedback. Yeah. So I, some of the things that I'm hearing from beta readers are like, I want more of this character. I want more of their backstory, especially if they're going to be in book two. And I'm like, I just took that out of book one, you know, like (laughs) trying to make space. And I'm like, ah, but you know, I did also get feedback about like, um, you know, areas that aren't as maybe quite as important that I can, um, gloss over a little bit more to make space for some of that some of that stuff is really mm-hmm. going to be meaningful to readers. So yeah. um, I am seeing a couple of patterns, even just with a couple of people already. And it makes me so excited because I get to now go back and ask myself more questions about these characters. Mm-hmm. I don't have to wait till book two and figure out, it's like a puzzle, figure out how to get just a little bit deeper and give them a little bit more of a taste. That's a great point. And it is so true that like, I feel like revisions and edits are such a layered process and it's so good to like let yourself take time for each of those layers and come back to it again and again and like find okay what can I do now and what can I do now and how can I deepen this or how can I change that but I also think it's okay for your readers to want a little more some characters particularly with the series because then it just pulls them (laughs) along so you're working on book two now or starting to are you writing it actually yet or outlining it right now or where are you at in that process um, if I could show you, I have like a hundred sticky notes on my wall in three different colors and under like act one, act two, act three. And I think I started this like, um, as I was doing developmental edits with Beth, because the benefit of a series when you're editing book one is that you can look ahead and you can say, I'm not going to set rules for myself if I can help it in book one that I have, that's going to really, you know, influence in a negative way, the trajectory of the plot and the characters arcs in the next 
two or three books. So yeah. I think that's a big benefit to doing things simultaneously when you have a lull with book one, if it's with beta readers, start thinking about book two. So I am doing outlining. I'm trying a little bit of a different process this time. I, um, last time it took me quite a while and I mean, you're building a universe the first time, so that's expected, but I'm just asking myself some different questions. I'm following along with, I should say, I'm using, um, the Save the Cat writes a novel, Jessica Brody's. Yeah. Some of the tips that she has are really great and very similar to other outlining uh, or book structures that I've followed in the past. But I think resources like that are really important because even as you're getting into book two, there's still the same challenges that you had with the first book. Even if you've outlined one book does not mean you're going to magically have book two and three outlined. There's, I think, even more to think about because you're expanding the world. You have new settings to think about. You have new characters to introduce. Um, so I'm doing a lot of that foundational stuff right now. And then I'll, I probably will pause that to refocus on book one when beta reader edits come in. Oh, and I love the colorful sticky notes. That's actually, I wrote it down because I'm like, we have to talk colorful sticky notes <laughs> because you can move them around. And and I think that color differentiation, so it keeps, can just look at it and see something, okay, this is this and this is that. Do you use them based on point of view? Is that how each one is separated or? I do. And it's kind of something different I'm trying. I think with book one, I did a lot of, setting up scenes with alternating points of view and realized pretty quickly that that wasn't necessarily the best way to structure the book because you're kind of forcing, you're forcing the story to fit within that alternating pattern. And really what should happen, I think, at least from my perspective is tell the story, mm -hmm. tell the story of what happens in your draft zero, and then go back and figure out whose point of view it's going to be most impactful to tell it from who stands mm -hmm to lose the most, you know, where does the emotion come in? You know, who, where can we have these cliffhangers? Where can chapters end and divide? So I'm doing a little bit more of, I'm taking that approach a bit more this time than I did with book one. But yeah, my sticky notes are still color coded and they're not necessarily by scene or chapter anymore. It's more like, I need this to happen and I don't know where it's going to go yet. But um, I have started to create piles of sticky notes where I can see how different elements and different conversations and different reveals will fit. They fit nicely together. And I think having them on sticky notes, like you said, lets you move them around and you're not so beholden to, um, oh, I have to keep this in this scene and this in this scene. Like, let's just yeah. stick them together. And right. yeah. I love that idea of piling them together. I hadn't thought of that at all before, but it I think it's so important to have your scenes. I and mean, we've talked about this, just make them work harder for you and have more things happening in them. So that's a great way to do that. And I think it's like, you can do as much as you possibly can up front. It can be overwhelming to think about how do I get from this tangled mass of ideas on sticky notes <laughs> to this very nuanced, complicated, sometimes finished product. Um, but I do keep going back to what you said, Beth. It, it is so about layers and just having that expectation when you're coming in, like just brainstorm hot, like let it all mm. out. Any beats you have in your head that, you know, like I like to think very visually about my scenes. So thinking about settings and what could happen there. And what if I put these two people in this situation? Mm. Once you kind of know like what your foundational beats are going to be and really start to just like 
get everything on sticky notes. Like, I think we could have a party. I think I'm visualizing this happening and you'll figure out where those all go later. But when you let yourself just like sort of be in the moment and enjoy every step of the process, you'll give yourself more fully to it than if you feel like, oh, but I know that this is coming and I have to be writing actual words. And it's like, (laughs) take it one step at a time. And I think that's where writers can really find the joy in the process. Absolutely. I love that. (laughs) I also love though, it's obvious based on your Instagram, like the visual side of your story, like I come to those posts and it's like, you kind of get that flavor of the story through the aesthetics themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you want to talk at all about the character art that you have and the kind of the feel for the book that you have uh, on your Instagram? Yeah, I love that question. Um, It takes me back to genre. I really struggled with classifying this book. Um, even after going through developmental edits. But it, something struck me uh, recently that, you know, it is a tool for you know, literary agents or, you know, readers to find you. But I think really what it is, is setting in the, in the reader's mind, like giving them like a taste of what the experience is going to be when they immerse themselves in your world. What's it going to feel like? Is it going to feel like you know, visiting a sleepy town where you can kind of curl up with a blanket and get comfortable? Or is it going to be like this, you know, very like artificial technology, clean sort of setting? Like, what is, what am I going to feel in this world? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like, I have to visualize it myself before, of course, I can write it. And so that's my goal is to really just help people understand, like, this is what you can expect before you see any words, this is what you can expect to like feel when you're reading this book. So um, in terms of like the mood I'm trying to create, I think that there is a lot of the sense of danger. But when you actually peel back the layers, it's not a story that's as dark as what you might think it is. Like the characters are really going through things that could be very dark, but they're um, like once you get into Hawken and Cass and their journey, the, the dynamics between them and the other characters, there's a, there's a lot of light moments and sweet moments mm. that make you, um, at least make me want to spend time with them and yeah. care about them, you know, when they're not running for their lives. So that was my hope with, with the aesthetic is just that if they don't have a chance to read a blurb that they can very quickly at a glance be like, Ooh, who is that? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. So, yeah, that is. And I think in terms of like marketing your book, you can do your own character art. There's a lot of other artists out there in the Instagram community, other social communities that you can connect with. I'm actually working with a friend who is an amazing artist right now to do some original character art. The art that I created um, that's on my Instagram right now, it was, I created it and it's, you know, it's, so it's, it is original, but it's not like, it's not as artistic as but I'm hoping. Um, so we're working together on how can we capture some scenes from the books and you know, pivotal scenes and um, really help readers get a feel for what it's going to be like to spend some time in this world. I love that. I love that you're working on that now, even before it gets out. Cause yeah. it's true. Like sometimes we think we have to wait till it's published or whatever, but there's so much you can do to spark that curiosity in the reader and your followers and, and to just start to build some expectation for, for the book. 
I think the more you can look at your work from different visual, visual lenses, creative lenses, it helps you get to know your characters. Like people think that writers know everything about their world. And maybe some of them do. Like if you're four books in and you know everything that's happened in your world and every thought your characters are thinking and you can remember, that's amazing. You're amazing. And that is not me. I have a lot of notes and I have to talk to them all the time. When I come back to a session to write, I have to read what I last wrote or I have to read a chapter just to get my head back in that world. And I think anytime you're focused on visualizing the story, whether it's through character art or it's through, you know, interviewing your characters in your head or doing actual writing, I think it's going to just make it stronger. So absolutely. Okay. Do you want to tell us briefly, like, what's your vision for the future of your work? Like, I have loved watching how excited you are about this series and this story. And it's been so fun to see the energy to see um, the things you're learning as you share about them. But I'm curious to know, like, what's your writing goal or vision for five years from now or mm-hmm. 10 years from now? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm in the process of making some life shifts to make more space for this, mm-hmm. to become more of an integral part of the writing community, to keep doing what I'm doing as far as um, trying to help other writers any way I can. But I mean, this is it. Like, you know, that feeling of when you just are like, what am I doing? Like anything else for Like, this is what seriously I'm on this earth to do. When you find that thing that lights you up like nothing else. And it's, it's this instinct in you. You're like, I have to find a way to do it. So that is, that's really my future. Like this is going to be what I'm doing the rest of my life. And I think at this point, I have the confidence at least because it ebbs and flows every day. I mean, sure. you know, imposter syndrome is really, really real. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think when you've weathered some ups and downs, you can sort of see that, you know, you have enough confidence to keep going. Like it's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. And so, yeah, this is it for me. Like I'm going to be keeping on with this series. I have, I have a, like a really long list of books I want to write someday, but this is going to probably take some attention for quite a while. So are you planning that this series will be three books? Is that a good question? (laughs) I was. (laughs) (laughs) So this brings me to like, uh, the more you read, the more you say, Oh, I didn't think about this possibility before. Um, which is a good thing. And it's also a frustrating thing because, um, I think when you see, how other series have unfolded, it gives you more ideas or, you know, and you're like, well, I would really like to spend more time with these characters, or I would really like to explore uh, this sort of dynamic and this um, like a a different uh, plot arc, if you will. And I can't do that if I have three books. So my plan is to, uh, as I'm outlining book two, make that decision if it's going to be three books or four books. Initially, it was going to be three, but I have ideas if I make it four. TBD. This has been such a great conversation where you've given tons of great advice, but we always kind of end with giving you the opportunity to say kind of what advice do you wish you had early on in your career or what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in writing? It's a great question. And I think my first instinct was to say to be curious it's really easy to let your worries and fears stop you from trying, stop you from 
thinking that you can do do something like the learning curve can be pretty significant if you've never written a full length book before, for example, but you can do it. And I think approaching every part of the learning just with general curiosity, whether you're trying to figure out how story structure works or how to query or how to write a book or how to plot, or when you sit down and your characters are not talking to you. I think if you can frame your mind uh, as, huh, what if, you know, just be curious at every level, every step in the process, it's going to make things feel less overwhelming and less full of pressure. Um, and will open you up to getting those answers that you need. You, I always am so amazed at if I step away from my computer and I go do something else and say like, well, what if this, you know, like I'll go through like 10 different scenarios sometimes, like whether even like down to the scene level and I'll say, okay, this is what needs to happen. But here's option A, here's option B, here's option C. And I mean, sometimes you have to do that, but that all starts with just being curious and being open and not feeling like you have to know the answer right away. Mm. You know, just being okay with working, working up to that. That's so true. Uh, Yes. (laughs) There's always so much more to learn with writing and always so much more to discover with both your own work and those characters and that story. And also just broadly about writing in general. It's such great advice to just keep learning it and keep being curious about it and diving in. I love that. I think the other thing we've sort of covered already, um, but I would say if it's feeling overwhelming to remember that a book gets written in layers. And again, you don't have to have all the answers and the pieces put together at the beginning. I can't tell you how much of the actual writing was done in the rewriting. It's so true what's been said by really, really smart people about, you know, that first draft is really for you to tell yourself generally what happens and all the magic of the words will come. I think right up until you publish, you're still like getting ahas. And it's really easy when you sit with a, with a book in front of you to say, how did the writer do this? Like that's, they're just incredible. And they are brilliant people, of course, but they didn't write it overnight. And that magic that really happens probably happened really late in the process. I need yes. to hear that right now. <laughs> so thank you. Definitely That's at that really first draft nice. stage and it's yep. like, this is not as good as I want it to be. <laughs> Takes time. I am not the most patient person. Beth knows this. So I feel like writing is one of those things, maybe like parenting, where it gives you day after day, time after time, an opportunity to practice your patience <laughs> with yourself and your brain and it will come. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. This was a delight. It is always so fun to talk writing and books with you. If you are listening, we would love for you to check out Sarah's um, stuff. There's going to be links in the show notes for her websites and her Instagram, especially. You should definitely go look at it because it's beautiful and has all kinds of fun things about her stories. (laughs) Check it out. And yeah, we hope that all of you keep reading, keep writing, and keep putting your work out into the world. (laughs) 